1: Josh Stratton disappeared from his small Nebraska town in the summer of 2018. The only detail amiss in his home was a jug of chocolate milk left to spoil on the counter. Around the same time, two other young men died in the nearby
2: woods. What followed is a strange series of tragedies. Could all of these deaths and disappearances be connected? What is going on in Alvo, Nebraska? Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing great, Tim. I hope
1: everyone out there listening is doing as well as I'm doing. Uh, you look like you're um, feeling okay. Maybe, uh, maybe got something on your mind. How are you?
2: Thanks a lot, Lance. I, I am doing all right. I am. Uh, I am thrilled to uh, to get to discuss these cases. Um, that were submitted to Private Investigations for the Missing. Of course, that's the nonprofit that we are on the board of, and you can find out more information about them at investigationsforthemissing.org. And there are also some links that you can follow in our show notes to take you to their social media pages. You want to give them a follow? And Lance, in today's episode, we're speaking about the disappearance of Joshua J. Stratton from Alvo, Nebraska, on June 20th, 2018.
1: At the time of his disappearance, Joshua was 33 years old, white male, 6'4", 210 pounds. He was last seen, and this is interesting, uh, wearing large, black, foam-filled shin guards and was often seen wearing chain mail. Uh, Stratton suffers from schizophrenia. He needs prescription medication, uh, which was left behind
2: at his residence.
1: He has blonde hair and blue eyes.
2: And this is a mysterious case, Lance, and really tragic, and there are some wild things that are seem to be going on in Alvo, Nebraska, that we get into in the episode. And uh, we are joined by Jennifer Amell in this episode, who worked with Kathleen Studer to put together this research.
1: And you say the word tragic, and all of these stories are tragic, these missing person stories that we cover. And it's especially tragic when you consider the fact that he did have this schizophrenia, he did have this condition, and by all accounts, he seemed like a good person. He seemed like a really interesting dude, uh somebody who's probably I think Jen says like she would probably be his friend because he had all of these interests that were probably a, a little bit against uh conventional society. He seemed to be into a sort of role playing, if it was uh, you know, medieval times type of role playing, uh which is which just feels like someone who has some sort of escapism, a, a desire for an escapism going on in his head. And I don't know if that contributed to his disappearance, but it definitely contributes to the uh, tragedy of the
2: whole thing. And if you have any information in Joshua's disappearance, you can contact the Cass County Sheriff's Office at 402 296 9322. Or you can contact our investigators at PIs for the Missing at 1-866-331-6660 or emailing piftmtips at gmail.com. And Lance, we also have a subscription service where we play all of our episodes ad-free. And we also have a really interesting bonus show that we do specifically for the ad-free premium feed. And it's called Hidden Opinions, and it's weekly. And uh, it's a lot of fun to do, to discuss some of these cases Um a little bit more in private. That's been a really productive part of what we do, I think. Typically you,
1: myself, and Jen will hop on a recording and we'll talk about these disappearances because during the conversation that we have that we release to the public, we have a lot of asides where we give our opinions to each other just to sort of workshop like what could have happened to this person or we'll just give an opinion on a person of interest in the case if they happen to be a real uh, questionable individual And a lot of the information is coming together in a way where it suggests that they have something to do with this person's disappearance. We're quite filtered on the public feed. We're a bit unfiltered on these Hidden Opinions episodes. And when I said productive, I mean it's a good way for us to flush all that out. Get that out of our system so that we can approach the next one with, I guess, clear eyes, clearer eyes than
2: uh, we would if we didn't go through that process. And you can get that at missing.supportingcast.fm. All right, everybody, we're going to break here real quick for commercial, and then we'll be right back with Jennifer Mel to discuss the mysterious disappearance of Josh Stratton.
1: And I'm going to keep hammering this home, folks. A review goes a long way. A good review goes even further. Swing by wherever you listen to podcasts. And if they have the five-star option available, go ahead and click that. Leave us some kind words. It really does, as I said, go a long way in keeping us on these airwaves, giving you these stories, and raising the visibility of these missing persons
2: as much as possible. Jennifer Amell, welcome back to the podcast. How are you today?
3: I'm Doing well. Thank you for having me. This case is a very confusing one and a super tragic one. Um, I mean, it starts with the disappearance of Josh Stratton and kind of leads to a few other cases and tragedies within his own family. Uh, The research for this case was conducted by Kathleen Studer yet again. Great work, Kathleen. Um, And this is a case we've been kicking around for a little while um, behind the scenes in PIs for the Missing. We were kind of updated in real time as we were looking into Josh's disappearance um, with something that happened later that we will get into. And it was just shocking and horrible.
1: Yes. And you mentioned Kathleen's research on this. Great job organizing the research, Jen. Great job working with Kathleen. And great job to the investigators uh, who are looking into that that situation that you just mentioned, that tragic situation. Uh, before we get into that, uh, Josh Stratton has been missing since June twentieth, 2018. Missing from Alvo, Nebraska, he is classified as endangered. He is a white male, 33 years old, blue eyes, blonde hair, 6 foot 4 inches, 210 pounds, and and interestingly enough, Josh is known to wear shin guards and chainmail armor, like you'd see in nightwear. However, his chainmail was left behind at his house at the time of his disappearance.
2: And Stratton suffers from schizophrenia and needs prescription medication, which was left behind.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bizarre to hear that somebody would regularly wear chainmail. I think Josh kind of marched to the beat of his own drum for sure, and dressed how we wanted to dress. Um, Shot bows, like knew how to sword fight and all this stuff. So he sounded like just like a really cool guy too. Like I would love to have met him.
1: Does sound like a very unique uh, individual. It strikes me as somebody who would attend... Like the King Richard's Fair, that's what we have in Massachusetts, the King Richard's Fair where you'd see jousting and people dress in their costumes in that period. Super fun to to be a part of that escapism. And I don't know if the schizophrenia that he was reported to have and this kind of go hand in hand, uh, not saying that one has to have has to do with the other, um, but I, I wonder how much of that uh, influenced the other. Does that make sense?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think um with these like neurodivergent classifications that we have for people, you generally see people with like very focused interests and not really a mind for how that might make you appear to other people. He didn't really care that he dressed different than other people. And I think I think that's pretty awesome.
1: Joshua is the son of Wendy Guida and Greg Stratton. He has three brothers and one sister. He lived in a small house owned by his dad in Alvo, Nebraska. The house was in town and he lived there independently while his father lived a few miles outside of Alvo on a parcel that is just over 77 acres. His younger brother Andrew also lived with his father, his mother Wendy, and her husband lived in Oklahoma at the time that Joshua went missing.
2: And now we'll hear from Wendy Gaida who is Josh's mom. Jen had a chance to sit down with Wendy.
4: Um, My name's Wendy Gaida, and I'm Josh's mom. When he was a little boy and always, actually, he was interested in everything. He loved people. He was like a social butterfly. He had just had friends all over the place, always. And then he joined the Marine Corps, it must have been in like 2022, And they sent him home and didn't say quite why they sent him home. And evidently the Marine Corps had figured out that he had schizophrenia, but being that they're the Marine Corps and he was an adult, nobody tells us anything. Right. And then Josh was going to come down to my house down here in Oklahoma. Supposedly, I don't know. He was like, thought he could hear missing people or something. Isn't that crazy? And he got picked up by a lady deputy from Lancaster County on the, just in the middle of a dirt road, um in his car, it was all packed because he was coming to my house the next day down to Oklahoma. And they like thought he was like a vagrant, but he wasn't. He just said just back the his stuff. But he ended up they ended up by putting him in the mental hospital and that's when um we started figuring out that he had something going on with him, you know. But Josh was a kind, loving, gentle soul. He was different when he got off of his medication. I mean, he'd never hurt anyone. But when he was off of his medication, he would wear his chainmail shirt and he'd wear these boots thinking he was going to protect, that they were going to protect him, like some force field or something around him. I don't know. He was always amiable to go back and get on his medication or go back in. He when you get off of his medication, you can't find anybody to get help because they all just say there's no law against being crazy. <laughs> he had schizophrenia, and that led to him being homeless because he'd get off of his medication, and nobody would help unless he'd get in trouble to do something. And then they'd end up in jail, and then within a month, they'd find a bed for him somewhere and put him back in the hospital. And getting back on his medications and all that. And he'd spent three months to two years in there. And then they let him out. And once he was doing good, just like the last time he was doing so good, they dropped him from his program. And then he doesn't have access to his counselors, the guy that helped him with the housing and all that, you know, and he just falls all apart. I keep trying to call people call the attorney general call right to the governor call try to get a hold of his old counselors and stuff who act like they never ever knew who he was never heard of him and and until he com- falls completely apart um, nobody helps you know until they lose absolutely every single thing they have and fall completely Part and have nothing and understand it on the street then they'll help i had josh was doing so good last time he got out of the hospital i was at his apartment and it was spotlessly clean meticulous we went and bought flowers he had flowers he was growing cherry tomatoes out on his patio all he needed was to go to his meetings he had a meeting that he'd go to sometimes he'd be in charge of it and gavel it in they'd take turns who was in charge and that was on Fridays and Mondays it was like AA classes for crazy people and um but they just keep each other accountable like did you take your medication did you make it to your appointments did you do this And then while they were there, they could go talk to their counselor, they could go talk to their nurse, get their medication or whatever they needed to do. But when they dropped Josh from the program, he didn't have that accountability or that interaction with them anymore. And he just got off his medication.
2: And Jen, I understand Josh posted to Facebook a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I had the chance to sort of call through his Facebook profile, uh, whatever it was public facing, and Kathleen did as well. And we were both kind of confused and interested on the kinds of things that he would post on there. A lot of the posts are pictures of writings that Josh did um, and drawings as well. A lot of these seemed similar to a thing called hypergraphia or hypographia. People with schizophrenia will often kind of do these overlaying writings and drawings. So it's like scribblings on pages, just like kind of stream of consciousness thoughts but it's it's like over and over and over again on each other and like in all of these posts there was like so many allusions to spirituality so that must have been an interest of josh's he posts about buddhism um some vedic symbols some kabbalah which is jewish mysticism um he also seemed to be interested in philosophy as well which definitely goes hand in hand with that spirituality stuff He had quotes from Aristotle and Plato, and he posted things on Descartes, and uh, on each one of these posts, Josh would comment on his own post with his own theories and kind of commentaries on these things. So it was interesting to read through, um, and it must have made for, like, really cool discussion with his friends, too. I mean, I myself, like, love reading about these things. It's just a little bit difficult to kind of piece together what was actually going on in josh's mind at the time of his disappearance
1: and i have a question for you in the uh, research you noted that uh he had theories on the passions and you quoted that the passions is that the the religious theory about i i guess like almost denying your body of its natural passions in order to seek wisdom is that is it am i on the right path there
3: yeah yeah um the The spirituality component grew out of Descartes' theories mm-hmm. on the passions, and I am by no means a scholar on Descartes, but he thought that the passions, like your emotions, your your loves, your um, passions, um, yeah, your passions. I mean, passions also translate literally translates literally to sufferings as well. Mm-hmm. So Descartes thought that these passions lived in one part of your brain. And in order to attain reason, you needed to do away with those passions. Um, Yeah, it gets much more involved in that. But I think um, that would definitely be of interest to someone like Josh if he did struggle with some mental illnesses. It's like in order to achieve like spiritual enlightenment or, you know, absolute reason and logic, I need to do away with these kind of like cumbersome human emotions.
1: I think that's really fascinating when we're putting that in the context of a missing individual, especially somebody with the diagnosis of schizophrenia and his unique uh, interests in um, all of these philosophies. I think that that is something that's really crucial when we're looking at this particular disappearance. How so? Due to the fact that maybe he wanted to cleanse himself in some way. That he wanted to deny himself of these feelings that he might be having, that he might, for whatever reason, feel guilty about, and maybe uh, a quest was something that was on his mind. That he had to go on a journey on foot. That he had to, you know, had to go out and like physically suffer, uh, physically uh, experience things that challenged him. That that he could almost retrain or or not retrain, but reprogram his brain where he wouldn't be feeling
2: these things anymore.
3: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I hadn't considered that.
2: And Josh was last seen on Wednesday, June 20th, 2018, when his dad took him grocery shopping and then dropped him off at his house. It's unknown the time frame that the drop off happened. And the next day, one of Josh's friends came to visit him and noticed the back door of the house was open and there was chocolate milk left out on the counter.
3: This is a strange detail to note. Um, But his friend was talking to WOWT News, and there's a quote from him that said, the milk outside the refrigerator, Josh was a pretty big fanatic about chocolate milk, and it's not like him to leave that out and spoil it. So this seemed to be like a regular behavior of Josh's, that he would always drink chocolate milk and would always have it on hand. So the fact that it was left out, he had bought it, he usually drinks it, was like, A thing that
2: was strange to his friend. And here, Wendy discusses some inconsistencies about when Josh's dad took him shopping. And Josh's friend, Dan, has some more info on the milk.
4: He lied about the date that he took Josh shopping. He told me that he'd taken him shopping on the 15th. He must have told the Cass County Sheriff's the 23rd because that's what it said on Josh's missing person poster. And when Josh's friend Dan called on the 21st from Josh's driveway to ask Greg if Josh was over at his house, Greg said that he hadn't seen him in a while and that he had taken him shopping a couple days before, which would have been like the 18th or the 19th. Right. Right. And so why lie about the date that you took him shopping when reality, since he admits he took him shopping and put his milk away, that he was really less than 24 hours before Josh's friend Dan called him.
3: Right. So that puts the shopping day on the 20th.
4: Yeah. Because that's when Josh's EBT card was used at the Dollar General at Eagle, Nebraska, and... It took me until the end of October, because the Cass County Sheriff's Office never looked for it, to find the video of Josh wearing his chainmail shirt, standing in line, buying in a gallon of white milk and a gallon of chocolate milk and a few miscellaneous groceries, and swiping his own card. On It was like at 7.32 p.m. on June 20th. That was last known sighting of Josh ever. When Josh's friend Dan got there the next day, he noticed that there was a gallon of white milk and a half a gallon of chocolate milk sitting on what should have been Josh's kitchen floor. Why would Josh have bought so much milk if he didn't have any place to keep it? I said, did he have a cooler or something? And Greg said that, Oh, he said, Oh, there's a refrigerator out in the garage. He says, I put Josh's milk away for him. I said, really? I said, then what was it doing on the floor? And he said, oh, I must have taken it out so it wouldn't spoil. I said, no, it was in the house on the floor. I said, that doesn't make any sense. I said, it was in the house on the floor. And he said, oh, it was? He said, I must not have paid it any mind.
1: Anytime there's something like that that's has this immediate feel to it. I always ask myself, what would it have to take for me to leave behind something that I was just about to do? And if the chocolate milk was so important to him, like his friend says, I mean, it obviously must be because he noted that to the news that the chocolate milk was important. If I was doing something and and I don't know, like it caused me to put that thing down and leave, you know, what would that be? Am I Am I standing by a window and I look outside and I see... Uh, someone in trouble or, or something, you know, a car broke down or something. You know, it, it, I'm not saying that I have an answer for this. I'm just saying what causes that for, for Josh in particular?
3: Yeah, it definitely speaks to something immediate going on in his life, right? And especially the fact that the back door was left open, too. I'm not sure if Josh was one to, like, lock up all the time. Um, I know one of the hallmarks of schizophrenia can be paranoia, So a lot of the time schizophrenic people will have like double, triple locks on their door. So that might have been out of character for Josh as well.
2: And he was reported missing by his father on July 2nd, 2018. So almost two weeks go by from that last uh, sighting, I guess.
3: Yeah, I would have loved to talk to Greg, his father, about his son's disappearance. I don't know if they were in regular contact with one another And if not, I mean, this can easily be explained away by, it's like, you know, I would pick him up for groceries every couple of weeks. You know, we'd barely talk. And that's why that so much time elapsed before his father decided to report him missing. Yeah, I I just don't know. Greg doesn't really comment on his son's disappearance too often to the media. And I know there's like a lot of conflict between Greg, and his ex-wife, Wendy, Josh's mom.
1: And where did you uh, hear that from, that there was conflict?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the person who submitted Josh's case to PIs for the Missing uh, had, had a lot of strong feelings about the relationship between Greg and his son, Josh. Um, can't really comment too much more on that because we haven't been able to find any facts to really back that up. Um, all we know for sure is that Greg was the last one to see josh according to the record
2: and josh had a vehicle so it doesn't sound like greg was probably giving him a lot of rides um but the vehicle and the keys were still at the house so josh when he went missing he didn't take his car or his keys apparently he walked around a lot but still um this is suspicious
3: yeah if he's gonna get far he probably would have taken his car right
1: yeah I think that brings me back to the chocolate milk that's sitting outside of the fridge, that whatever happened outside his window, which I'm imagining is what caused him to go outside, was enough where he thought that he would be right back. Immediate enough where he thought that he had to go, but not, in his head at that time, important enough where he was going to be gone for a long time.
2: And according to Josh's grandfather, it would be unusual for Josh to go three or four days without contacting anyone in his family. He also said that because of his schizophrenia, he depended on them financially.
1: Did he have a job?
3: So I'm unsure if Josh had a regular job. He did post on Facebook that he worked at a pot farm. Um, I'm not sure if that was just like facetious and kind of spoke to his lifestyle a bit, or if that was an actual job he held down in and, and uh, made money through.
2: And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And his mother, Wendy, insists that he wouldn't just walk away, and she's convinced that he was met with foul play. Wendy speaks to some of the rumors about Josh's disappearance and how she made some calls herself.
4: Wife spent? 22 years working construction. So I looked up and found the name of the construction company. I called him and talked to the project manager, explained to him that Josh had been living there in Alvo and that um, his dad thought that somehow he might have ended up there in the road construction. Well, even I work in construction. You're working on this, what you're working on. If somebody had been up there burying somebody or doing something like that, Somebody would have noticed. You'd see. I mean, you know what I mean? There's just no way somebody else could come on your job site and bury somebody and you wouldn't notice it.
1: And furthermore, when contacted by news sources, his father, Greg, has refused to comment.
2: And not much more is known about the circumstances surrounding Josh's disappearance. Um, Jen, no one knows if he had a cell phone or anything?
3: Yeah, we weren't able to find any information that was publicly available about Josh owning a phone, using it, if he had brought it with him, if he did have one. This is, this is an interesting case. We struggled to get information about like the actual details of his disappearance. We really don't know much. We can't establish a timeline even because Greg, uh, his father, didn't even give a time about when he dropped Josh off. All we know is the day and that he was technically the last person to see him. So, I mean, a lot more questions than answers in this case, but it gets crazier. What does his father have to say about this?
4: He doesn't say anything. He doesn't even really recognize that um, there's that he's got schizophrenia or that either one of them had a problem. He just he's not mentally quite. I mean, he functions as a human in society and has had the same job as a mill operator for I don't know forty years, mm-hmm. but he's just not quite right either. You know what I mean?
1: And that brings us to. The geography of Alvo, Uh, two years after he went missing, Wendy placed a cross as a remembrance of Josh in Alvo in hopes that it would encourage people to keep their eyes and ears open for any sign of him. And Alvo is technically classified as a village. If you look at this on Google and on Google Maps, its population in 2019 was 130 people. So, placing that cross in remembrance and hoping that people will, you know, see it and, and keep their eyes and ears open for any information, especially somebody as unique as Josh, walking around, what does that tell you? I mean, 130 people in two years, three years haven't seen this guy in this town?
2: Yeah, probably everyone knew him. Had to have. Yeah, if he's walking around a lot, or they they at least knew of him, I would think.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Josh, according to, you know, his socials and stuff, I mean, he was a pretty flamboyant dresser too. So if you saw a guy walking around in chain mail, like around town, you would for sure remember him and wonder what happened to him.
1: So Albo is mainly residential with the exception of a fire department and a United Methodist Church. I think it's impressive that a Village with 130 people has a fire department in the first place. Uh, It's also located about 30 minutes east of Lincoln and about 30 minutes southwest of the outskirts of Omaha. And those are Nebraska's two most populous cities. So not very far away. It feels like it's sort of nestled in there, this like little village community uh, in between the two most populous cities.
3: Yeah, so you could pretty easily, if you had a vehicle or like got a ride, you could pretty easily get lost in those larger cities. But when we look at like Google map, um, like satellite imagery of uh, Cass County, it's like super rural. I mean, there's lots of dirt roads, um, like farmland woods, lots of places to, to hide or
2: not be found. And some other mysteries occurred that summer in that same area. And Eagle, Nebraska is less than 10 miles and 10 minutes to the southwest of Alvo. The same summer that Josh went missing, two young men from Eagle were found with apparent self-inflicted gunshot wounds within a month and within sight distance of each other on a dirt road that is a border between Cass and Lancaster County, Nebraska.
3: Yeah, so we, this is super bizarre. We have two young men, 130, 119 years old. Um, one's called Brandon Bean Retzlaff, and the other was called Hunter Paxson. Brandon was about 30 years old when he passed away on Sunday, July 15th. And this is just, what, almost a month after Josh goes missing. He was unfortunately a father to three sons, a partner to their mother, um, a hard worker and a friend to a lot of people. He was described as selfless and generous and really did a lot of good work in his community. And then the other young man was only 19. This is Hunter. He died on Monday, August 13th. So that same summer, just about a month after that. So we've got these three deaths occurring in the same area within one month of each other. Almost to a T, like plus or minus a few days um, Hunter was in college seeking a doctorate in psychology, and he founded the MFAB, the Midwest Friends Against Bullying. With a, It was a group with over 800 members, so another like active member of his community and trying to improve situations for a lot of people. Hunter was also on the autism spectrum, and he actually won a state speech in 2015 describing what it was like to live with autism. And Brandon was found in Cass County, and Hunter was found in Lancaster County. We sort of mentioned that both of these young men were found along this dirt road that separated the two counties. Super bizarre, guys.
2: Yeah. And Eagle is a small town, too. It's um population just over 1,000 people. And Brandon and Hunter's parents don't believe that their children willingly took their own lives— they actually got together with a local news agency who did a story describing the events, including Josh's disappearance earlier, as possibly being related.
3: Yeah, so we have like the media tying these three, well, one disappearance, two deaths, together, and I mean it makes sense because the geographic area is is pretty close, um, and the timeline is pretty close. We mentioned before it's just a month apart between each young man. I would love to know more about these gunshot wounds of Hunter and Brandon. I mean, just because they appeared to be self-inflicted doesn't mean they weren't coerced in some way. And that's just like a horrifying scene to imagine.
1: Because you don't even know where on their persons they had these gunshot wounds, correct? Right, yeah. And each one of these took place about a month apart. Considering how small the towns are, it would be pretty conceivable that the three young men, Brandon, Josh, and Hunter, all knew each other. I mean, that's not outside the realm of possibilities.
3: Yeah, especially Brandon and Josh, because they were like kind of around the same age and may have even gone to the same school as well. Hunter was quite a bit younger, so maybe he didn't kind of travel in the same circles. But yeah, this is two small towns that are nearby each other, so I can't imagine that they either wouldn't know each other or wouldn't have people in common that they knew.
1: Was it known at all whether either one of these other individuals, Brandon or Josh, were they members of the Midwest Friends Against Bullying group?
3: That is a great question. It would be something to look into for sure. I mean,
1: with 800, think of that, 800 members. That is, that's like six and a half times the size of Alvo. And it's almost the size of Eagle, so this, this young man put together a group, founded a group against bullying that had almost as many members as Eagle, Nebraska, the population of Eagle, Nebraska. I would find it very hard to believe if Josh and or Brandon were not in that group or knew somebody in that group.
3: But I think it's really important to mention that the parents and people who knew Hunter and Brandon didn't know them to be experiencing any kind of mental illness. Um, They both seemed happy with their lives. They were like active members of their communities and really cited no reason why either person would take their own life. And the Cass County Sheriff agreed that it was odd. And so they are looking into the situation.
1: Uh, Jen, so to be clear, law enforcement is on record saying that the apparent suicides of these two young men, that's odd. And they're looking into it.
3: Yes, they haven't um, reclassified these deaths as homicides at this juncture as far as I know. Um, But yeah, they're still looking into it.
2: And then in 2022, some really disturbing news. On February 13th, around 11 p.m., the Cass County Sheriff's Department was called to Josh's dad's house just outside of Alvo in regards to Josh's brother, Andrew Quinn Stratton, who was 34 at the time of this incident.
3: Yeah, this, so this is what we mentioned at the top of this episode. Um, we had already received the submission for Josh Stratton's disappearance. Our chief investigator, Lou Barry, was looking into Josh's case when breaking news kind of happened, and he emailed us all, and we were, like, so shocked to read it. Lance, do you want to take us through what happened?
1: Josh and Andrew's father, Greg Stratton, called to report that Andrew had hit him had hit Greg in the head during an altercation. Greg had left the house and advised deputies that Andrew was in the basement of the house and maybe armed Deputies entered the house and began the negotiations but when Nebraska State Troopers were arriving they heard gunshots. So life-saving attempts were made but Andrew was pronounced dead at the scene. There was a bow and arrow and a long knife that were found but it's not known as of yet if those weapons were in play when the officer fired on Andrew so it's a uh it's an officer related shooting.
3: Yeah. I'm not sure if they if the deputies That were attempting to negotiate with Andrew, like, had heard that he was armed or if they saw him wield a weapon, but something happened for that deputy to fire upon Andrew. Um, He eventually passed away from this gunshot wound.
1: Do we know, like, where on his person he was shot?
2: Apparently, the Nebraska State Patrol Special Investigations Team is reviewing the incident, so there's at least that.
1: So there was, like, this escalating violence that was happening that day. And apparently Andrew also suffered from schizophrenia and he was off his meds at the time of the incident. So I wonder if that's a contributing factor to him attacking his father, hitting him in the head, and then it escalates to this moment. Uh, and for whatever reason, I'm the thought that's running through my head is, do you think this could have been like a police-assisted suicide? Is that the term you use when he's like putting himself out there to get shot by the police?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the potential... For something like that. I don't know if it was even a coherent thought in Andrew's mind either. I don't, I mean, if he was off of his meds, I mean, that's a really scary time. If you're kind of experiencing uh, what I imagine to be like a flood of voices in your head, like telling you to do things, to inciting violent behavior, telling you to potentially attack your own father, that's super scary and may have contributed to uh, why officers felt threatened by Andrew's behavior and why they fired Adam. My heart so goes out to Greg and Wendy. I, I can't believe that they are attempting to find their one son and then this happens. Like, uh, w- what tragedy.
2: And the two incidents aren't apparently connected. It is not believed that Andrew's death has anything to do with the disappearance of his brother, Josh. That's correct, Jen?
3: Yeah, I mean that's that's the official party line according to law enforcement. I mean, I I don't see how they could be connected because we know exactly what happened with Andrew. I mean, it's not like he disappeared and was found dead and we don't know what happened. I mean, he he was shot by an officer during this incident. What I do find maybe a, a kind of a bizarre coincidence is that Greg is involved in both scenes basically I mean we don't know what was going on between him and Josh Uh, we know that he took him out grocery shopping and then dropped him back off at his home and we don't know what transpired after that and then we've got this separate incident with his other son who lived with him and you know this violence occurs between the two of them not insinuating anything from that it's just interesting that Greg was there at both times
2: if anyone's got any information in the disappearance of Josh Stratton, please call the Cass County Sheriff's Office at 402 296 9322.
1: And also, please feel free to reach out to Private Investigations for the Missing at investigationsfortheMissing.org. There's a tip line, 866 331 6660. Or you could email them at PIF tips at gmail.com you can email them about this particular disappearance or any of the other ones you've heard on the missing podcast
4: closure for me would be justice and victory for Josh and because you know they never got to get an ed- a higher education or get married find like gainful employment for themselves they never got to have kids and I'm just, and I work my ass off running around from state to state. But their lives had to have been for something. They had beautiful, wonderful childhood Closure would be for Cass County or for someone to actually investigate Josh's disappearance. They still have never, even though they always imply that Andrew did something to Josh, they still, to date, have never brought Greg and had still never taken Andrew in. For formal questioning, someone be held accountable for not properly investigating.